this the dagger? Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block and the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! Welcome to The Outsiders, which is powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. This is Podcast 97, the Connor McDavid of podcasts. And of course, it's Monday, March the 7th. Feels more like February 7th, but it's the 7th of March, Season 3. I'm Bryn Griffiths. Joining us, as always, is Robin Brownlee. Robin, how you doing? I'm outstanding, Bryn. Thanks. Look who's with us today. Uh, it is the the you know it's the star of the Dave Jamison show on TSN 1260. Dave Jamison, who has not been on that show for quite some time, there's a reason for it. I didn't want to say good reason, although uh, there is some positivity you can take out of all of this. But Dave, how how you doing? I uh, good, and you know that kind of a question I would have answered differently uh, July 29th and before that, but uh, life changed July okay. 30th. Well, let's talk about. Uh, how things have changed for you before we yeah. start getting into sports and all that kind of stuff. You and I have had a crazy two years. Yeah. Let's talk about your year and uh, how it all started and, and what happened. Well, in early May of 2021, I was going about the business of shaving part of the morning constitution and um, noticed that my neck and left side of my neck was thicker and didn't sort of follow you know, the form of the right side, the contour, the contour. Yeah. And, and so I waited a couple of days thinking, well, son, this, this too shall pass. Uh, boy, was I wrong. And then uh, went to my GP and it was, it was one of those moments that I won't forget. Well, there's actually a bunch of moments I won't forget, but he came in, he took one very quick look, ran his hand down my neck and left the room fast. Okay. Came back in and said, you've either got an issue that I can give you 10 days of penicillin and knock it out. You'll be fine. Or you have cancer. The, or you have cancer tends to hang in the air just for a little bit. Sent me for an ultrasound and then things moved really fast. We got the results within a couple of days. He called me back into the office and wouldn't let me leave his office, put me in a back room. And he started calling hospitals or anywhere I could get in for a CT scan in the surrounding area got in a couple of days later to fort saskatchewan like at eight in the morning it was one of those sort of oh we've got an opening went in and they waited about three to five days of course i'm gnawing my nails down i'm you know I, i'm telling myself don't think about it don't think about it you know maybe it'll just be something that we can deal with that isn't cancer and on june 5th he phoned me just after two o'clock on a saturday and said you have cancer and then things got real and, and, you know, and Bryn, you know, this and Robin, I'm sure you've had people in your life. You get the call that you have cancer, right? Then you have to make calls to the people in your life. In my case, my three children, Lindsay, Abby, and Danny, and other, my, my two siblings who are much older than I, and they've got their own health concerns. And it, you're, you're trying to process the shock of hearing that 
you have cancer. And I had no precursor. You know, I've got it in my family, but as I learned, it's not connected. This is a different kind of cancer, and we'll get into that. But it was, you know, as people say, it changes your life, and it, it certainly has changed mine. Hey, just and staying with that for a second, it's one thing for you to hear it. This is how it works with me, hearing that I had stomach cancer. And it kind of rolled off me pretty well. Mm-hmm. But, and then I'm going to take you down this road here. It's when you have to make those calls to your better half or your kids. Yeah where it finally kind of hit, that's where it hit me. I was fine until I had to phone and make that phone call. But when I heard it, I just went, okay, well, let's beat this thing. But then I had to make that call and it was tougher. And for you with the three kids, I'm sure that was when you cracked a little. Oh, not a little. I cracked a lot. And one of the things I did from the outset was to include them in the process, right? So I was telling them from the, that first appointment, um, and then, okay, dad's getting an ultrasound. I mean, they're adults, they're 27, 25 and 20, soon to be 23. So, but they're still my children. And, and then to get the, the definitive, okay, you have cancer. And even that I only had a little part of the picture. I mean, more to come in terms of, yeah. you know, getting in, we'll get into that, but no, it was, and to hear their voices, you know, which range from, you know, scared to less than that, but also very concerned. And then, you know, they're feeding off my energy and I was trying to stay as positive and upbeat as I possibly could in the situation, but I was crumbling inside. You know, it's always amazing to me uh, how people who get this news uh, and that includes Bryn. I mean, I remember my reaction with Bryn, uh, and you, Dave, um, I lost my mom and my dad uh, to cancer. My wife lost her mom. Um, we, my mom got the message you did, you've got cancer. She was gone five weeks later. Oh, my. Yeah. And I can't imagine getting that news. It's bad enough secondhand when you're the uh husband or the spouse or the son or the daughter or the uncle of the person that gets that news but how do you take that next step and say okay what comes next year i mean how do you keep it together i i, I couldn't i this and i don't want it i'm not minimizing this at all but one of the um, skill sets I drew on was, frankly, from my time working in communications, public relations, media relations, whatever you, however you want to categorize it, was, okay, I'll go from, I'll call ground zero is the diagnosis. Who needs to know? How quickly do they need to know? And what part of the story do they need to know? If it was, you know, this person, and I, you know, I didn't have a list in front of me, but I, I, as I got into this and could see where it might be heading, I was starting to think about scenarios. And I know that sounds very calculating in now upon reflection, but it's how I operate. I mean, you know, I've already pre-planned my celebration of life. I mean, I got the music picked out. So that's just how I operate because I'll control as much as I can control to the best of my ability. And then obviously some things are left to higher powers or however you want to, you know, go with that. But I, I, so I was 
you know, I, I sort of gave myself a call tree. Who do I need to, okay, family first, and then I'm going to work my way down and, you know, contact Bryn and people. Then I, I sent out a tweet, which yeah. was not to say, woe is me, but I have a public facing job. And there right. are some people who, you know, may like me or, you know, kind of. And I thought, well, listen, I might be off work here for a bit. Life's about to change. And I would like these people to know. And, and then I'll step away and go off and do what I do here with, uh, with cancer. Hey, but before we talk about how you, you battle and beat this thing. Sure. And continue to beat it. Uh, you, you touched on one thing, and this is a discussion that we had at our place and I've decided to go public mm -hmm. and for the exact same reasons is that when you've been out there in the public for so long and I didn't want somebody to hear it second, third or fourth hand. So for me, it was Bingo. just get it out there. Maybe bring people along. And if you can find a way to generate revenue for the cross yep. or Cure Cancer Foundation or the Alberta Cancer Foundation, that's a bonus. But more than anything, you want people to not be as scared of this, even though you're petrified yes. inside. Yes. But that's why. So I tried to explain it at home. That was one of the toughest things was trying to explain on the home front why I'm going to put myself out there. Did you find that same kind of thing? Yes, I, I did. And I found an understanding of the position that I have um, in being a, you know, a public personality, if you want to call it that, is that, you know, there, there are people that uh, that go off and and fight cancer or other afflictions that they have, and they do it under, you know, the cover of darkness. And that's their choice. Yeah. And and I um, I'm like you, Bryn, you know, I I will as soon as the opportunities present themselves either um, serve as a peer-to-peer -peer counselor. And I've already, I'm in the early stages of trying to arrange that where I can be just, if nothing else, um, a, a, a someone who can provide, you know, l listen to someone who is going through cancer. And the kind of cancer I have, which is, is not a rare category, it's head and neck is the broad category of what I have. And I know we'll get into what exactly I have uh, in a moment. But no, I, I think that if you can, uh, and and it suits your personality, help others in this situation, Brian, I think you should do it. Robin, to uh, and you and I had plenty of discussion over my situation. And the one thing that I was always surprised at is by who contacts you and who doesn't. I was always told once, you'll be surprised who reaches out to you and you'll be shocked at who doesn't. And everybody's got a different response to hearing the word cancer. Did you go through that same thing? Absolutely. I mean, I, people were unfailingly gracious. They were um, they were kind beyond words. I mean, I allow me to just get a little verklempt here for a moment. There were people that, um, you know, my um, people that I worked with in football. Um, I started getting calls not to name drop here, but. You know, Hugh, Hugh Campbell on a Zoom call is right. a hell of an experience. Him down at the cabin in Idaho and him telling me that he loved me. And and people like Ricky Ray. Yep. And Roger Reinson. Some of the notes that they send me, I will keep forever. Just because they... Um, I just gather myself from it. No, that's fine. Um, when you work in the kind of jobs we all, the three of us have, 
And there, you know, Bryn, when you're working alongside athletes, I never took for granted that I had a relationship beyond what they would see of me at the stadium, um, maybe in the office. And on the rare occasion when I had to go to court with Alfred Payton in court. Um, and, and, and I, um, so I never assumed, you know, you always say like, don't become friends because you're probably going to have to write the release that they've been released or traded. Yeah. So there's kind of a wall, at least I always put up between myself and the players friendly at, you know, do whatever you need done my friend, but I can't, I mean, just, it didn't seem to serve either party to become, Hey, by the way, I accidentally just happened to have it. I didn't think I, you know, I, 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 I told mess, I wouldn't do it, but there you go. Um, Thank you. uh, Yes. Um, But that said, um, I, the notes I received from the guys in football and media people that, that, you know, in some cases I knew just a little bit, I mean, those are things that I will cherish and they were, they were an impetus to, to, to battle hard, to do the work, to, you know, sometimes I would reread one as I was getting ready to go to radiation. Yeah. Was there one that just blew you away where you went, I never saw that coming. Like, I know this is hard to try to think back, but because it, it's all so numbing, mm-hmm. but every once in a while, somebody you get a call from somebody you hadn't heard from in like 10 years or 15 years. Is there one, are they all the same? They all stand out the same? Or was there one where you went, wow, where you hung up and you went, wow. Well, I, I, you know, I, I referenced the Hugh Campbell call because it was so, um, I mean, I owe Hugh Campbell, coach Campbell, um, so much that, uh, you know, I, I need a few lifetimes to repay him. He hired me. And, um, when I, we got that call and we're talking and, and the notes he sent, me yeah you know again because he's a very private individual but public i mean obviously a lot of people know him um to know that 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 you know that i was lucky enough to be in his world and his and then to think on a small level that you know he thought very highly of me that's really humbling yeah really humbling did he get excited because you know how excited well you you know it's always very measured but it was very emotional and it was it 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 meant and it means the world to me knowing that you know i I was able to to work with those people and then that they would think of that think of me in that way in in a very difficult time yeah when i hear dave talk about those things what pops into my mind um and i haven't had the same thing thank god um in terms of that, but I had some people step forward with me uh, when Anna Lynn was in the hospital uh, huh, trying to get Sam to the point where he would survive when he was born. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're and all going to have, this is going to be a tough show. You guys, I I'm next. Yeah. Apologies to the yeah. editor on this. Yeah. You, you, you know, but you yeah. get those calls from people, you know, uh, people you respect, you get people asking if it's okay, if I come to the hospital and just sit there with you. Um, that's really something. And it's not something that you touch on in the day to day stuff of in, in Dave's position. Um, not how you know not having ed hervey hit anybody else with his helmet or um lining up an interview for a player who's in the tank and doesn't want to talk to anybody um you know it's uh or in my case interview a player who hasn't got a goal in 71 games and i'm asking about that 
Um, yeah. You have a you have a relationship that's professional, and and that's fine if that's what it is, and that's all it is. But you often find in these times I've seen through my limited experience that there's more there, and that people often, when you need a word or you need somebody to talk to, or you just need, or may, you might need just need some space. Uh, to 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 grieve or or worry that they're there for you and um, that's a real eye-opening situation and whether you're talking uh, the wellness of a family member or your own wellness it's just a real eye-opener isn't it and it's I use the term a word I should say humbling it's humbling um, the cancer having that diagnosis is humbling. The reaction that people have to the news that you have cancer is humbling. Yeah. And I, I, and I, I can't think of a better way to describe a lot of this experience. And if you ever needed to be reminded of your place in the world, both in, in a good and bad way, I think that that's what all of this has done. And, and the friendships that, you know, and, and you, you asked at the outset brain about, you know, being surprised at someone who, maybe didn't call or didn't reach out. I, I Some think people just can't. They can't. And you have to understand, I think, that that this scares people. I know. It really scares, you know, there, but for the grace of God, go I. I think that's sort of the reaction. And, you know, we, we, you and I joke about it. God, don't get near us. You don't want to get what we've got. I mean, that's kind of how what some people sort of feel when they hear that someone they know or someone they're close to has cancer. And I, I get that. I understand that. And, you know, I, 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 I do respect that position. Well, here's the, here's the thing too. And I, this is what I found. And I found a lot of listeners got a hold of me somehow and friends got a hold of me and friends of friends got a hold of me. And I was told frequently that, well, you're an inspiration. You're an inspiration. And I always kind of cringed at that. To me, the inspirations were the people who fed my fire, the yeah. people who got me to fight it harder and harder and harder. Did you find that? Yes, because, and I, I I'm uncomfortable with somebody saying that I'm an inspiration just because I don't think I've earned it. I think the young mother who is all of a sudden diagnosed with cancer is she's raising two young children or somebody who's, you know, whatever their life situation, I was 59 years old. I was diagnosed with cancer and it was um, just to give you the, it was on a three centimeter growth was discovered on my left tonsil where my left tonsil used to be. It's, Which is your money box, by the way, that's your it, cash box. Exactly. Exactly. And so that was, um, that's where it was found. It's the HPV cancer, which is sexually transmitted. My surgeon told me it was probably sitting, you know, looking for a place to land for 30 or 40 years. So um, I, you know, it, it, it happens and it happened to me, but I don't think that I, again, I bristle at the idea that me, that I'm inspiring. If someone takes something from, you know, the story I, I tell and will tell, um, then I'm, I'm pleased. But I just think there are other people that have situations that present that I go like, I'm doing a lot of reading on, on cancer and, and survival, if you want to call it that. And, Man, I look Do at stuff. Do you have your Google go, certificate? Because I think it, I stayed away from Google right. in terms of once I got the diagnosis. And I was told that very early by my surgeon, Dr. Yes. Vincent Biron, who I want to name check here because he was he's brilliant and frankly saved my life. Um, where he said, you know, 
you don't have to know so much about this that you could perform the surgery. And I said, good, because I don't want to go to Stanford. I'm not smart enough. I just want to know what do I need to know to be the best patient possible? But I don't need to pass a test. So I stayed away from Google. Good for you. Yeah. Okay. So quickly take us through now the process that you went through, and then we can talk about some fun stuff. Although, you know what? To me, the fact that we've gone through this, it tells you so much about what you're capable of, right? Oh, yes. And so yes. when I when I say talk about fun stuff, the fact that we've gone through this, I learned more about me than I ever could have imagined. So I'm guessing with you, you're probably the exact same. Oh, absolutely. I didn't know that I could um, endure both the surgery, and I'll get to that in a moment here, what it required. Um, but yes, to, to, in a, to wrap that answer up, tighter than most of my answers today is that you don't know what you're capable of when you are pushed to the brink. Oh yeah. And a cancer diagnosis, depending on the kind of cancer it is, is to the brink. I mean that, you know, um, and I'm still not out of it. I mean, I, I don't say I've beaten cancer. I say that I am adjacent to cancer right now. It looks very good, but they got to follow me for five years and things can change. And right now, I'm in a good place with lots of recovery, lots of work to do. You can hear my voice and my neck and all of that stuff. I've got challenges, but I'm in a good place right now with cancer, if that's possible. Um, And I like to think it is. But in terms of my past, so I had the diagnosis on June 5th. We skipped forward a a few days because I went through my notes this morning before coming to do this. And then I, I went in for a biopsy and we learn a little more. And then we go to, you know, meet with the surgeon. And, you know, you get the camera up the nose and I think you're probably saying, Dave, that sounds like a lot of fun to have a camera put up your nose and you would be wrong. It's not fun at all, but it was the picture that they needed to really say, this is what we got. And then you go to a biopsy, you get that day surgery done and, you know, you're going about your business thinking, God, when am I going to get in? There's a pandemic. It's, you know, it was not a good situation to be in for anybody let alone somebody waiting for an important surgery. They said, Hey, we got a bed July 30th. You available? I said, I am now you go in and you do this, you go in and the robot does the surgery. I love this. Um, so C3PO opens me up and I don't want to be overly graphic here, but I've got to explain. They cut open my neck from behind my ear to my chin. So I don't have the dimensions there, but it's a fairly sizable piece of real estate. And that surgery, you know, they go in, they remove the three centimeter growth on my left tonsil and they took out a whole bunch of lymph nodes because they were concerned about a presence in some of them. So they go in and they sort of harvest, if you will. They stitch you back up and you're dispatched to the U of A to recover. Well, that's where the surgery was. And so I spent 10 days in there. And, you know, when they prep you for something like this, and I've had people say, well, God, wouldn't it have been nice if you'd known all of what was about to happen. Well, I don't know if anyone would go through with the surgery. If you found out that when you come out of it, you're not going to be able to swallow. I had to relearn how to swallow. You are going to, because of what they cut there, you're going to lose the feeling on the left side of your face entirely. I didn't know I had a left ear because I wear glasses. I figured, well, it's got to be, they don't take the ear off. I couldn't feel anything. Yeah. And you lose because they cut the the muscles in the neck, I've lost all of the strength. I lost about 80% of the strength of my left arm and shoulder because the trapezius muscle has to rebuild. 
So you've got that going on and you're trying to recover from this very significant surgery. And I spent 10 days at the U of A and then they dispatch you, you go home and you try and you think to yourself, well, how tough can swallowing be? I've been doing it since I was a little baby. Yeah. And then you learn that all of that is a very complicated and intricate process that we humans do in order to consume liquid and solid food without thinking about it, without thinking about it. Well, now it has become all consuming because I can't really hydrate myself and I can't feed myself in the manner I was used to for, you know, 59 years and counting. And so all of that was a huge change. And then you're sort of getting a little more comfortable with your lot in life. And they say, Hey, how about some uh, radiation? And that started September 13th and you do six weeks of that. And that damn near killed me because it was five days a week and head and neck radiation is they, they kept telling me, God, and the people at the cross, they are angels sent from wherever they send angels from. And they were amazing. And I will probably break down and cry talking about them, but they, they, you go in, you're fitted with a mask. Um, and you lie on a slab five days a week for not very long, but the, the cumulative effect of that is unbelievable. So I lost my ability to smell and taste and my vocal cords were sizzled. I didn't speak for about three weeks or just a kind of a barely a whisper. And I was very scared that I was going to lose my ability to talk because they said, you know, it's going to tighten up the neck, which is already screwed up from the surgery. Right. So now I'm dealing with that and, all the effects of radiation and I lost a whole bunch of weight, um, which I've yet to regain, but because I had to go on a feeding tube because I just couldn't, you know, and you've lived this. And and so, you know, I don't want to do, and I hope this isn't coming off as a woe is me, but that's, that's the itemized. I mean, there's other stuff I've left off here, but you know, that that's kind of, I'm still coming out of that. I really haven't had solid food for almost five months now. And I've got to relearn how to do all of that. Uh, because in, in the, the fight goes on and it mm-hmm. just goes on and on and, yeah. and, uh, people want to hear you back on the air and, uh, to sum up the cancer thing. And then yeah. we can start talking about some sports stuff to, sure. to switch it up a little bit here, but to get through all of this, you need, you need the love and support of listeners, mm-hmm. friends, family, that kind of stuff that, um, and some counseling. Yeah. I got it, that too. Yeah. I just, I, I can't tell you how important it is to have the right people uh, on your side to get you through those weirdest moments, not the the moments you think would be the toughest, but mm-hmm. the strangest where you're going, I can't believe I'm phoning or somebody, or I can't believe I'm talking to somebody about this. Did you not find that? Yeah, there was some of that. Um, you know, I, I, I want this on the record. I mean, the calls and the texts and the, 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 the notes I would get from you, Bryn, a lot. And I know Robin would, would shoot me a note and how are you doing? And people that, you know, I was connected with, but you know, there were just, there were some surprising, you know, listeners that I, I, you know, I knew that I would know them by, you know, a text, you know, nom, their, nom, their handle, nom, their handle, their yeah. nom to text, if you will. <laughs> and I would get those and I'm like, wow. You know, they'd say, we, Hey, we just checking in. We miss you on the air. We, you know, and that kind of thing. And those, those would always, you know, when I'd be sitting there waiting to go in for my daily radiation, you know, and it got really bad. Like they would say to me at the cross, are you at day 10 yet? And I go, no, what is day 10? Ooh, yeah. Day 10 is when 
it's the fork in the road. Yeah, <laughs> if yeah. you thought the days one through nine were easy, well, day 10 is day 10 is Hearns Hagler round one of getting punched in the face, caught like it just, and then everything changes, right? Yeah. The weight loss, the food, all of it, it's, it's going bad. And so you just hang it on until the, the, the 30th day, your last session. But you know, the, the conversations and there were little moments of grace and empathy at the cross and elsewhere that when someone, you know, the, the staff, they were so helpful and they just knew, they just knew, like they could see you coming in. And one day I went in, I wish I could remember what day it was, but it was late in the process. And I knew I needed help, help feeding. Cause I was just wasting away. Your body starts to eat itself, not to be, you know, overly graphic, but yeah, hell, yeah. hell we're into it now. Uh, and my, um, you know, they, they would just, you know, I broke down crying on the, on the slab, I call it, it's not that, but it's, you know, I was about to put on the mask and the mouth guard and start the process. And I started crying and I said, I don't think I can do this. And they were like, you know, come on, we're going to get you through this. We're going to get you to the end. Yep. Um, you're not going to look good and you're not going to feel good, but we're getting you to the end and that stuff. Yeah. I will not forget. I will not forget the, that conversation where human to human, they just kind of grab you and lift you up and say, we're, we're getting this done. Dave, what comes next? How long <clears throat> till you know you can go back or can you go back to doing what you've done for so long, uh, getting on <clears throat> the air, talking to people about sports, um, and getting on with your life, that's still a possibility, I assume. Do you have any kind of timetable uh, that you can look at and tell us about? Yeah, yeah, I, I do. It's it's a bit of a guess on my part. And, and you know, I to tell you and the, and the listeners of this podcast what um, where I sit right now, which is my focus, you know, I got the, um, my oncologist said, I am done with you. I'm, you're no longer a patient. So that's good. That's a big box to check. Then you skip ahead to meeting with the surgeon. He called me and he said, I am really pleased with the results of the PET scan and you should be too. I said, okay, so I can't call myself cancer free. He said, no, you can't. We're going to track, you now for five years testing and, and we, you know, we got to live this. So I, my goal, Robin, is to be back on the air. I'd like to say April, but you know, this is one of those things where, because I'm, I have to, and I'm relearning how to swallow properly yeah. and, and how to maintain a, um, you know, as Brandon will always say, Dave, you can learn to, you know, relearn to talk and you can learn to, you know, and all that stuff, but doing two hours or four hours of sports talk radio requires an energy and, and a, an endurance, if you will, yep. that I don't know, as I sit here today doing this, that I've got right now, but I'm working towards it. And I do exercises every day. I re do physical rehabilitation at the U of A and I'm taking part in a study on a, on an app and a tracking device on, on to make my neck stronger, but I've got to relearn. Like all of that's got to be rebuilt. So, you know, I'll try. I may not sound great when I get back on the air, but I'm, I'm, I'm working hard towards it. One, one more, uh, Dave, and uh, to lead into what Bryn was talking about, or maybe we do talk a little bit of sports, but it's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's a cliche for a reason. Sometimes events like this, personal events for you, personal event for Bryn, or for all of us as a society, 
with what's happening in the Ukraine now. Very different things, but the cliche phrase is um, perspective. When you go through something like this and your life to this point has been, as Bryn so often puts it, the uh, toy department of life, uh, uh, covering and talking about sports, do you go back into it hopefully soon with a new perspective about anything? Or have you always had a good perspective when it comes down to football, hockey, whatever it is, at the bottom line is just a game? Where are you on that? Well, you know, you're right. It is just a game. And I find, though, Robin, and, and, you know, for someone like you who's been chronicling sports for so long and me having been in it, but also around it, but in it for 14 years with um, here in Edmonton, um, when people say it's just a game, but it is for those in it, it's our life. And and yes, you 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 live it publicly. Right. In the case of, you know, working for the Eskimos, as I did. And and you know, the game will end for the fans and they can go home and be disappointed and, and or, or elated by the results. But then for those of us on the inside, we got to get up the next day and go back to the stadium and go about the business of the business of football. And you as a reporter for a long time would, you know, get up the next day. It might've been a great oiler win at old Rexall or Skyreach. You got to get back there the next morning, or it was a devastating loss, go back in and get after it. And so, yeah, it's a game, but it's a business and it's a big business and it doesn't, you know, it, it, it feels like the toy store or toy department at times, but for those and Bryn's lived it too, it's still, you know, you're, you're, you're building, you know, widgets or you're whatever it's a, it, it's a grind. It's got some good stuff and bad stuff, but you know, I think the perspective stuff, Robin is, I think it's refined some things for me that I, when I go back on the air, I may have um, less tolerance for whether the oiler fourth line is a front burner issue. Um, but, you know, I also respect the whole process of sports talk radio and the fans desire to talk about some of the minutia that, you know, maybe bores the hell out of me, but you know, Hey, you want to get after it, let's do it in an intelligent way. And I'm happy to play, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, it, it certainly has, you know, I, I will share this with you. So I have been getting counseling on this because I really felt I needed it because I was, I was very angry. How could this happen to me? Um, I was, you know, working through all of the the various steps of, of, you know, when, what happens when you have an illness and one of my counselors said something I'm going to carry with me until I'm, you know, not on this planet, which is, you know, I said, why am I angry? He goes, well, you're grieving. And I said, grieving, what, what do you mean I'm grieving? He goes, you're grieving the loss of the old you, the healthy you. And, and I, I, I needed somebody to say that. And that's why I started counseling because I didn't want to unload on people in my life. They're not qualified to give me the kind of advice. I didn't want to have to keep burdening them with my cancer. So that's why I went outside and through the cross, got the help I needed where someone could say, Hey, you're going to be different coming out of this. You know, everyone's so worried and anxious to get back to the normal. Well, my normal and Brendan, you'll attest this is not our old normal. No. And we got to get comfortable with that, or it's not going to be a very pleasant existence. I'm okay with that though. Yeah, like, well, like to me, yeah, the, yeah. The, Robin, that's a great question about perspective. Yeah. It, it's I don't, I, I have learned, and this is me. You tell me whether or not you're, you're the same. I don't worry about shit anymore, especially the shit I can't control. 
Uh, I only worry about that. I don't worry about where I'm going to be six months from now. I worry about today and maybe tomorrow. If you want to talk about maybe going to, you know, a sweet and Oilers game on Saturday, yeah, I'll talk about that. But all of a sudden, my perspective, my uh, my perspective is open greatly yep. to what's happening to me right now, where I notice stuff I never noticed before. I actually feel like this is an awakening for me, not just a fight with cancer. And it, I think it just changes the way I view everything in sports. Well, I'm not going. I'm very committed um, to not squandering this opportunity. And you might go, well, an opportunity. I mean, you you were, you know, my surgeon told me if we had not found this, let's say I had a beard, okay, yeah, and I had not noticed this thing on my neck, it might have been very late. And he said you probably had a year if we don't catch this, right? So I'm acutely aware of time now of, of time, not wasted time, well spent time, you know, and, and trying to, again, you know, I feel like I'm on the shot clock in life and I'm not, I don't want to waste shots on, on messing around on stuff that doesn't matter to me. That isn't going to give me some kind of a return, not monetary, but you know, in, in terms of happiness. Yeah. I'm not sure we're going to ever get down and talk about sports. And you know what? We can do that another time, but there is one sure. thing that I think we need to pass along here. Okay. It really does. The, there's not much that irritates me anymore, but there's one thing that does. And that is when I hear a guy who said I was supposed to get checked, supposed to have my prostate checked done seven years ago. And I go, what the hell is wrong with you? Right. Please don't. I'll even come with you to get, well, this is, sound, is going to sound rude. Uh, I, I'm going to come with you to the waiting room yeah. for you to get checked. But please do it because you owe it to your family and you owe it to yourself. And so now I guess if there's a message you and I can send out. and uh, Early detection, early detection, early detection. No one will be a better advocate for you than you. And, and you are being wildly irresponsible if you don't look after your own health. And that's, I don't want to, I won't get into a rant about people that, you know, the various things that you do that we, and we all do on greater or lesser extent to undermine our health. I, you know, over the years I've, I've consumed things I shouldn't have. And guys, we are the worst, right? Yes. We're the absolute worst. You know, you know, it's been hurting me to do this with my shoulder for like the last 15 years. I'm going 15 years. What are you doing, man? Well, I've been told at home, maybe I'm overreacting. No, just, you know what? You've got to read your bodies. And guys, more than anything, figure we can power our way through it. No. Don't try to power your way through it, especially when you get over 40. Get out and get checked. That's yes. all. I, I mean, it's we hear it everywhere. But here's two guys who've gone through, well, a year of absolute hell. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have to put yourself through that. So just do what you got to do. Yeah. I, I, uh. I like the shoulder thing, Bryn. Um, I'm completely, and I'm completely with, with you guys on this, although it makes me smile. Uh, having, uh, having launched myself off a of Harley Davidson when I was 20 years old uh -huh. uh, in the, uh, into the back of a pickup truck and broken my spine. Um, I get, I got those mornings where you're doing the shoulder motion oh, yeah. and the back. Mo that's, that's injury through misadventure. And when it's done, it's done. You can only sort of try and make it feel as good as it's going to feel. But I go back to something you told me, Bryn. I remember we met for coffee down in Windermere and you told me about, uh, 
the little spot on your kidney. Yeah, that was four yeah. years ago. And that and ended that up was, being a really tiny little two centimeter tumor on my kidney. And they said they were going to take it out. I didn't realize so, they were going to take my kidney out, but they got it out. So we're fine. But that early, the yeah. early, detection, early detection. Yes, when, you're, when you're talking about what you and Dave have been through, that's key for everybody. And you can go in and be checked and find out everything's okay. There's no reason not to do it. And the kidney one too is an interesting one because you don't normally find that until it's too late. Yeah. So I stumbled on that. I was lucky. I didn't uh, stumble on the stomach tumor thing and have my entire stomach removed until it was late, but my surgeons did heroic work and I'm still around. I know what the, the survival years are. It's supposed to be five years, but uh, hey, listen, one of the things that I've learned, Dave, is that I don't care how much time I got left. I just want to make the most. Yes. And you all. should. I mean, it, it, why we as a species need to get pushed to, you know, the brink, if you will, in our cases. Yeah. In order for us to go, oh, hold on a minute. Hold on. You mean that there is a larger world? There are, you know, the, the, there are things out there that I could or should enjoy and why this needs to happen. And I, you know, prior to this, I've done a lot. I've been traveled all over the world and been to cool places like Burma, now Myanmar and, and all over. And I want to do more of that. And I will do more of that now. And I'm not sure if this hadn't happened to me, I might've gone, ah, I'm good. You know, I've sort of done my thing. No, if I've only got a limited amount of time, I'm going out swinging. Is there any sports stuff you want to talk about? Or do you want yeah, to just do you want to just quickly touch on the Elks? Because sure. we're fresh. Yeah, actually, let's yeah. do that. Cause we were let's down, do that. Yeah. we're down at a, yeah. a media event this week. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know, I just, I, I'm really, and I, I mean, you know, full transparency. I am a director with the Edmonton, the double E football alumni. And so, you know, I'm invested in the brand and I was there for 14 years and I am really encouraged, if not excited, flat out excited by what is happening under the leadership of Victor Kui. You know, he is a guy who is clearly a master of social media. He has got a likability that um, makes him very relatable to fans. He's clearly listening and he's actively engaged and that is, you know, this is a, a, a football team, an organization that is community owned. That requires a different touch, I believe, than a private ownership. And that I think they're getting that touch, that feel that Victor Kui is bringing to this team. And it goes well beyond the helmet decal. I mean, as he said, it's a decal. But that was to me a sign that he's listening, that, you know, that, I mean, they're not going to win every game. That's not expected. But I think what people have had grown, so they just felt like no, that the right things weren't being done after so many years of, you know, if I can be boastful, Edmonton was defining in terms of that Canadian football league, both with the on-field success, 14 great cups, you did it the right way. <clears throat> Maybe a bit of an overstatement, but we sort of thought of ourselves as kind of like the New York Yankees of the CFL. You know, we were going to win every game, but by God, we had more money than you. We were better dressed than you. We had better players than you. And that's, I mean, yes. That's and if you arrogant. beat us good on you, but we're right. still the New York Yankees. Exactly. The but, and, and I know that that's overstatement, but yeah, that but said that, that sort of luster, that sheen, I think had been lost over several years with that organization. And if Victor Kui on the business side and Chris Jones on the football side can get it together again, then you've got something to be proud of. That's exciting. I can I can only imagine how it would make you feel 
Dave, because you've been closer to it uh, as part uh, of the organization in the past. Um, I look at it as as an outsider, uh, even having done a fair amount of coverage uh, over the years and understanding the, the things you just mentioned about what it meant to be a part of that organization and what was expected and how what it meant seemed to change over the years and what was expected uh, seemed to disappear. And talking to uh, people in the, in the last couple, couple of years, uh, whether it's messaging or privately on the phone, Dwayne Mandrusiak, people that really care about this franchise and matter to it. And then I look at uh, a Victor Kui uh, or a G. Roy Simon, and Bryn and I have had both of them on the podcast uh, in, in the last few weeks. My sense now as that outsider is if Chris Jones can take care of stuff on the field and doesn't he always kick yes. ass on the field and they can get the, the community back, that feel and that connection that was always seemed to be there, things are headed in the right direction because it didn't look like that a year ago. No, I, I absolutely concur. You might even go back, you know, and I know there was the year lost and, and um, but I think the erosion started a while back. And I'm not, it does not align with my departure from the team. No, they kept going. I mean, I've got an ego, but it's not that big to think, well, when I left, you know, no, 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 that, that's not it. I just, I, you know, it never happens just in one year. Last year was sort of the, you know, oh my God, they can't win a Commonwealth. They're not a good team. They've got these weird antlers on their head. And, and I mean, nothing felt right. So that said, now they got a chance to reset. I'm with you. Chris Jones knows how to win football games. He can find the players to play in the CFL. He can coach those players and he'll produce, he'll produce good things. Now, if they can get the rest of it going so that fans feel like they're getting their money's worth, that it's a product they can be proud of. And that, that the double E now on the helmets and those colors mean something and mean something good. Then I think this is all a very good thing. And frankly, the CFL needs Edmonton to be good. I mean, it needs all of the franchises to be good, but this franchise, they got to get this right. Okay, what about the hockey team? You have the benefit. I didn't have this when I was recovering from my cancer, and that yeah. was because of the pandemic, sports had shut down. Yes. Oh, man, I could have used sports Oh, to kind of help me just kind of get over things a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you're at least got – you've at least got – So two. Korean baseball wasn't doing it for you. No. We had to, not quite, eh? Yeah. No, no, it was not. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, and when hockey did come back, it was the middle of the summer. I was just – it would really help me surge. It gave me that sure. outlet. Mm-hmm. But you've had a chance to watch what's been going on here. And listen. I watch and listen. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a dual consumer. Oh, oh, i got yeah. all the platforms going. Absolutely. Uh. So what's your take on the way things have shaken out uh. with the hockey club? Or do you want to go down there? I can't tell if this is a good hockey team that is playing badly or a bad hockey team that elevates itself. Clearly, you know what they have in terms of McDavid and Dreisaitl. That yeah. sets you apart. It also raises expectations. Sometimes can be unreasonable, but again, no one is going to feel sorry for you when you have 97 and 29. Sorry, you've lost the, the plucky little team that might. Right. Like you're, you, you don't, can't claim ownership of that. Are they imperfectly constructed? Yes. We can see that we can we can start the conversation, might even be able to end it with the goaltending. That isn't good enough to take you to the places you probably, or at least on some level, are qualified to get to. It's not going to happen. 
That just isn't good enough to win consistently at the NHL level. And, you know, there are other bits in the lineup, you know, could they use a, a, a another defenseman who can play the, you know, the rugged, the rugged individualist uh, role? Yes, I believe they could. Um, but, you know, again, um, were they were in the cap era and they they had ample cap room. I'm not sure they spent it entirely correctly, but there you have it. You know, ultimately, it's going to be 97 and 29 that grab them and drag them wherever they're going to get to. And then kind of, I know we're running out of time here, but and then finally, because you're you're a big soccer guy. I mean, you grew up in Vancouver, so it's white caps. Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely, yep. Vancouver white caps, mm-hmm. Edmonton Drillers, that kind of stuff. Yep. But we were on the precipice of watching our Canadian men's national team finally get back to the World Cup of Soccer this coming November, depending on what happens here on the planet. But uh, let's. Uh, what's your thought on this? It's been fun to watch. It doesn't. It feels. It, it, I don't know how the best to explain it. It doesn't feel on some levels real that Canada, because soccer was always treated, and even growing up in Vancouver, where we all played. And you could play year round out there, right? It still was for, you know, parents to send kids off to play soccer because it was cheap and it was something to do. Now, now it has become legitimately, we are, a, a not say world leader, but I would suggest world class. We're inside the 30. Right. Okay. Now. I guess that qualifies as a world leader in a sport that for many was just kind of a diversion. Right. And yeah, they've had great players and Leonard Doozy, and I'm aware of, you know, others that we produced. But now it feels like, oh, we are a soccer playing country, not just a country where soccer is played. And that is a real leap. And frankly, it's happening in tennis as well. Robin, you want to wrap this baby up? Anything? Well, I just smile when I hear about soccer. I remember going to Empire Stadium all those years ago. And and the turf at Empire Stadium in the early days once they got rid of the grass, was basically concrete painted green. Yep. Um, With a hump. Remember the hump in the middle? Like it yes. was just, you couldn't see the visitor. Crowned. The crown. The, yes. the, the crown. The yes. And it had to be, it had to be big time uh, because you had the New York Cosmos coming to Empire Stadium with yep. Pele and Giorgio Canalia. Oh. And, and, you know, I was never a big soccer guy to play. I always preferred a game where you could punch somebody in the mouth and impose your physical will on them. But I yeah. tell you what, that was a that was a lot of fun. And Bryn, you and I talked about this uh, a few podcasts ago. For all these years to pass, and for uh, this nation to be back in the competitive fold, so to speak. Um, I'm really happy because there will be a generation of kids that get turned on to what's a very good game uh, for the youth in this country, strictly because of what we see uh, with the World Cup moving forward. Hey, and one other thing I want to send out there right now, and that is I'm hearing rumbles that the provincial government isn't necessarily sure if they want to contribute 50 million, I think it is, or some number like that for the Edmonton hosting bid for the 2026 World Cup of Soccer. Can I just say one thing? I don't know if it's going to be Jason Kenney or the Conservatives or Rachel Notley and the NDP. Get that one done. Yes. Because, you, hey, Calgary's had their Winter Olympics in 88. And I, I'll, I'm pretty sure if things kind of work well, they might get another Winter Olympics there. That is a monstrous event 
for the province of Alberta. You got to think a little bigger than Edmonton and Calgary. For, for Alberta, the Olympics in Calgary before, and if we have them again, will be big. There will not be another bigger event come to the city of Edmonton than the World Cup of Soccer in 2026. Don't fuck this up. I concur. And I, I will, I, I don't know. There are precious few of these events available at any given time. And the fact that Edmonton, through circumstance, but also a wonderful track record of big events, finds itself in this position. We've wasted in this province and lots of other places much more than $50 million. I would suggest that this is money well spent. I worked at Expo 86. That changed that city. That was a big event. That was just a touch. And it was a six-month advertisement for the city, and we can debate whether all of it was positive. But that's when the little city that could, or as Darren Detition used to call it, Regina with rain, became a grown-up city. It was Expo 86. And and that's and a yeah. World Cup all of a sudden. You want eyeballs on this city? You want people to know about the 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 funicular or whatever that thing is? And the, the province and the Rockies, yeah. Yeah. even Calgary. All there's a benefit of the province, of course. Yes, yes. So I can. I don't know. Do I have to fill out a piece of paper to say I'm in? But yes, I support you, man. And by the way, uh, Dutchy. Yes. Uh, also going through a battle right now yes. with the big C, and yeah. so haven't heard very much, but I'll take that as a positive. Yep. And uh, we'll send our thoughts out to him. Indeed. Hey, uh, you know, yeah. Just before we go, I wasn't sure how this was going to go today, Bryn, um, with what you've been through, with what Dave's been through, and whether we would talk sports at all, whether it really mattered for one show. Um, we got JMO on here for I don't know how long now, moving on an hour, and he has said that he's ready to move on and get back to doing what he does. I call that a pretty good day. Uh, thank you. So do I. Hey, by yeah, the way, this I'm has just, been good. Just kind of curious because we're of Welsh descent. Yes. Um, this mask you were wearing, was that very Anthony Hopkins ish? Oh, you I'm like just that? Gonna, I'm just, I'm just getting a visual there. Yes. That's what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and is this a lower or an upper body injury? Now we're getting close to the playoffs. Would this be a lower body injury then? For you? Um, I know this is completely upper and I, and I, you know what I wouldn't, if I were a player and I had this, obviously I would, um, I, I would absolutely identify it. I'd say, no, 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 let's call it what it is. It's, it's really, really upper. All I'm going to tell you is what I've been telling you now for nine months. Never lose your sense of humor. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm trying. Some days it's a push, oh, but, yeah. but you know, you can, you can get really turn inward. And, and when you get out and you are a great example of this, you get out and you start reintegrating because I've been alone a lot, right. And with my thoughts, but also with this cancer, when you start to come back out and I was really embarrassed with the way I looked. I mean, as I say, I got John Cretchen's mouth and John Diefenbaker's neck. That's not a great, that's not a great, like, wow, that's, you look terrific. Some of our audience may have to Google that. I know that's a dated reference, but I know my audience are here and Robin and Bryn would get it, but it's just, you know, because it's things have changed, right? It's not back to normal. So I I was embarrassed by how I looked, so I wouldn't go out. Now, does that, does that mean you're going to be, I, I, I get the vision yeah, yeah. Are you, going to be, are you going to be grabbing somebody by the scruff of the neck and shaking them? A show one again, handshake. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Man, uh, thanks for your time today. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy we pushed your uh, on ice time a little bit here today because this will kind of tune you up for getting back to uh, TSN 1260. Uh, hurry back. Uh, wait. Uh, 
eagerly to get you back on the air. Thank you, my friends. Can you believe it? It's March already. This year is going crazy. At least that's my impression. January and February, where did they go? Anyway, looking at the Metro Edmonton real estate market, had a chance to uh, track down Brent McIntosh from the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. I said, what's going on? He said January and February were fantastic, and it really gets him excited about the upcoming year because things are starting to pick up. Now is a great time to start gearing up if you're thinking about looking for a new place or maybe even putting your place on the market. People are already looking. Interest is high to buy, and inventory is low at this time of year, so now is the time to move. That's totally the norm, by the way. The McIntosh Group at REMAX River City can help you with the sale of your current place or maybe the purchase of your next place, and you can find them real easy, too. 780-464-0075 or online at mcintoshgroup.ca. Start the process with a complimentary evaluation of your current home. No obligation whatsoever. They'd be happy to help, and there's no deadline for this offer. But if you're really thinking about it, don't let the market pass you by. Jump on board right now and give them a shout. Both buyers and sellers are welcome to contact the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City. Once again, that number directly, 780-464-0075, or find them at mcintoshgroup.ca. And one last thing, tell them the outsider sent you. So that's it, wrapping up episode 97. Hey, Robin, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say something that's been bugging me a little bit here over the last week or two. And that yeah. is I'm starting to see more and more stories. This is not sports related, by the way. Seeing more and more stories about synagogues, Russian synagogues being attacked in Canada. And it bothers me a little bit. First and foremost, let me set this up. I stand with Ukraine. I I've got a lot of Ukrainian friends. And I'm horrified and disgusted by what I'm seeing going on over there. Let's put that in its little box and over here. The thing that's really bothering me as well is seeing what is happening, starting to happen in our country where people are targeting Russian people in Canada. And I don't think this, we, we've got a guy who clearly isn't thinking right in Vladimir Putin, who's, who's basically dragging us all through this. And as I said, feel sorry for Ukrainians, but I also feel sorry for Russian people because I don't think they're hearing the full story over there. And it made me think of an experience that I had at the World Juniors in the Czech Republic in January of 2020. And for the gold medal matchup, it was Canada against Russia. And somehow, I don't know how it happened. I still laugh about it now when I think about it. My lone seat, I didn't want to sit in the press box. I wanted to sit in the seats for this classic Canada-Russia hockey matchup. But I didn't realize I was going to be sitting right in the middle of the, the Russian parents. And so I was surrounded by Russian parents who obviously cheering on their kids, and I loved it. It was great. But I felt a little uncomfortable because I didn't speak their language, and they spoke very, very little English. The guy next to me spoke a little bit, and we somehow found a way by the middle of the first period to communicate basically because we were talking a common language, which was that of hockey. Mm -hmm. And so you could just basically look at each other and you'd smile or you'd laugh about maybe an official's call or whatever. And during the intermission, I started to find out which kids are your kids out there. And they would point to their program and they would, uh, they would say right, right here. And so you would see number nine. I would go, and of course, 
you know, what, what else am I going to say? But I was impressed by the Russian kids. But some of the kids, their parents were in front of me. They were great, great players. And you knew they were going to get NHL drafted, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I, so anyway, we started to have this communication. And as the game moved along and uh, Canada rallies and end up winning the gold medal, and, uh, you know, you can see by the third period that everybody was getting a little more emotional into this because you want your country to win and you want to cheer for your kids. But I never cheered against the Russian kids because, you know, obviously uh, I was feeling more for them because I was feeling what their parents were feeling about their kids. But I still remember at the end of the game how respectful the parents were standing during the Canadian National Anthem. I'm going to try to do this so I get emotional because it was a very emotional thing for me. So we're standing there. They could have left, right? They, they didn't have to hang around to watch the Canadians get their gold medals. They hung around for their kids getting the silver, and I'm sure it hurt a little bit. But they hung around out of respect and watched the Canadian kids get their gold medals. They hung around and watched as I sang along with 3,000 other Canadians in the building, Old Canada. And then the magic happened. Uh, the, the one guy who I was having this, uh, this strange conversation with just basically he said, wish you well, is what he said. And then he hugged me, and I, and I just I wasn't expecting it. But I had enjoyed being surrounded by these Russian parents so much because I realized that their love of the game, their love of their country, and their respect for Canada was so intense that it just kind of caught me so much off guard. And I still believe to this very day that if you ever get a chance to watch your country play for a championship or a gold medal away from this country, it just takes on a greater significance because you feel a greater amount of pride. But I just, I, the one thing that I'll, I'll never forget, I'll never forget the hug that I got from this one parent and uh, wish you well was the only thing that he could say. It's really the only English language we had but it just made me respect people so much more and realize that uh, borders are things that we put up and uh, we can work harder or should work harder to pull those borders down so we can understand exactly how the other, the other people live. And so when I see that there are people attacking Russian Canadians and uh, because they're so angry what's going on in Ukraine I just think I think that that's just misguided. I I I am not blaming the Russian people for what's going on over there. I just think that uh, you've got a madman over there. I don't think people are finding out the full story, and uh, you know you hear their internet is down. I feel very sorry for those people as well. I just think it's a mess, and I hope it gets solved fast before too many more people get killed. But I'm not hopeful. But anyway, I just wanted to, I wanted to pass that along because it's. It's a memory that I'm going to take to the grave. And uh, it made me feel so great about being a Canadian. And it also made me appreciate the fact that hockey was bringing a Canadian and Russian people together. And uh, we were just enjoying the moment. So that's all I wanted to say. Well, you know what, Brennan? And that's that's really important stuff. And... Uh, you know, when we look at the world today, I think we need to understand this if we can. And it's, I, I, I understand that it's easier said than done, but if people are attacking people, you talk about they're angry about what's going on. I would suggest that in many cases, they are just angry. Yeah. And I don't know why, uh, 
a family, be it a man uh, and his wife and a couple of kids living of Russian descent, living in a part of our city or anywhere in Canada, or uh, a couple of kids just going to school, they are not uh, Vladimir Putin. They are not, they are, are you, atta- you're attacking them really? Like, like verbally, physically, uh, you're harming people. I mean, we saw this, uh, if you're old enough, I saw remnants of it in World War II with internment camps and that kind of thing. You know what? Leaders and borders are not the people that make up those countries. And somebody trying to live their life over here in Canada or in the U.S. that happens to be of German descent or that happens to be Muslim, that happens to be pick. Oh, yeah. What are you angry about if you're pushing around women in their hijabs and parking lots uh, in Edmonton shopping centers? Are you really concerned about the war or are you just angry period, uh, if you're attacking uh, Russian families or r- Russian churches, whatever, uh, I, I don't understand it. There's no, there's no excuse for it. What's happening on our TVs that we're seeing via the internet and television and with all the channels we've got now is horrific enough. Uh, we don't need to add to it by finding a reason to attack somebody and to go after them because of the country they were born in or the country their grandparents were born in. Um, can, we need to be better than that. And that's uh, that's the big picture. And that trickles into sports. Sports is one little part of the world we live in. And it's the reason you and I love getting together and doing what we do here. Yeah. But the fact is it's not insulated from what's going on in the world or what's going on in the world is staring us in the face right now. And we have to be better uh, at treating each other better, regardless of what generals and political leaders are doing. I know, I know that people tune us in because we cover the toy department of life, as I so often call it. Sports is a, is a getaway, and uh, it's a release valve on what's going on in the real world, and we all love that. But every once in a while, other stuff bothers you. And so this one's been kind of sitting with me for a week or two, and I'm seeing more and more attacks on people in Canada, and I'm thinking, really? Yeah. Like, why? Why? Like, I just don't get it. And I know there's going to be some people saying, well, it sounds like you're picking side with the Russians. No, it isn't. I, no. I, I, I'm not. I'm, I just, I don't think that it's the Russians that are the problem. I think it's the guy that is allegedly leading that country is the problem. So yes. that's just, that's my thought or two on it. And like I said, it's really hard for me to hate Russians after going through an experience two years ago where there were hugs and, uh, and there were smiles and laughs and, uh, you saw the pride and all that kind of stuff. And I just, I find it hard to blame, to blame Russians for what's happening. I, I just, it's tough. It's tough for me. And, and like I said, I'm saying it again. Um, if I had to pick sides, you know what side I'm on here, but I just don't, I just, I don't know. It's been bugging me. So I just wanted to get it off my chest because that's what this podcast is all about. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's move on, and we'll see where that goes. Anything, uh, anything bugging you these days? I know the uh, the Edmonton Oilers. It almost sounds irrelevant now that we're talking about it. But the Edmonton Oilers, big week coming up. They've got some tough games 
They've got a tough two weeks ahead before the NHL trade deadline day comes up on Monday, the 21st. We'll talk about that coming up in a split second or so. But mm-hmm. uh, they they lost to the Montreal Canadiens, who I thought played a pretty solid game in Edmonton. Uh, the Oilers coming off a long five-game road trip down east, and we've often seen them stumble and fail when they do that. But uh, they uh, that's one of those games you got to win because you got some tough games ahead. Well, I tell you what, if if fans weren't in full, I don't want to call it panic mode because let's be honest, this fan base has been patient in the big picture for a long time. But it's kind of, after the game, I was not surprised by the amount of Mike Smith can't play another game for this franchise. Uh, the team is finished if Mike Smith plays. You know what? Mike Smith has been awful, and uh, I'm sure he's the first guy that that knows that. Not that that excuses it, but uh, you know, if they don't do something right now in the bigger picture that goes beyond, you know, we're doing this podcast today. There's a game against Calgary tonight. Depending on when people pick up the podcast, it may or may not have been played, but. There is a thought out there that how many years are we into McDavid and Dreisaitl? And you know what? That That's just common sense, and I understand that. you got two of the best players in the, on the planet. If not the, the two best players, you can't miss the playoffs. I mean, you might not win the Stanley Cup, but, man, you better be pressing to win something. And right now they're not even in the playoffs with those two players and you've got to do something about it. And if that's goaltending, and I don't think people that point at goaltending are mistaken, uh, figuring out what the problem is, is one thing doing something about it is another because somebody has to have, have somebody you want for a price that you're willing to pay. And that's the tough part, but they need to do something because man, if they get their teeth kicked in in Calgary, which is a distinct possibility of the way the flames have been playing. Yep. And you look at the rest of the schedule, they can be in real trouble and that's not good enough. And the trade deadline approaches uh, as we, you know, as we've talked about, um, I don't know, man, they're in a, they're in a tough spot. And uh, I understand the, I understand the uh, frustration of the fan base, but I don't know that Ken Holland is going to come up with an answer for that just like that because if it was snapping your fingers, he would have done it a long time ago. Two weeks out before the trade deadline, and right now I'm, I would, I'll boldly say they're not going to make the postseason. I just, I'm not seeing it. Had the privilege of watching Colorado and Calgary on a Saturday night, top two teams in the West when they uh, squared off, both playing backup goaltenders for the most part. Yeah. And, uh, the one thing that I noticed with both of those two teams, Elliot Friedman nailed it. He said, the Colorado Avalanche force you to play a high-speed, high-tempo game. And mm-hmm. if you can't, and most teams cannot, if they can force that will on other teams, they're, they're going to win most of their games. The Calgary Flames play a certain defensive style. You take a look at their goal differentials, like almost 60, yeah. a plus 60. Uh, they've got strong net minding. Their defense seems to know what the hell they're doing in their own end. And the forwards are playing a defensive defensive game and then seem to turn up the offense when it's given to them. The opportunity arises. But what I'm seeing, I see a, de- a definite style with both of these two teams, and it feels like they're confident in what they're doing. 
watching the Edmonton Oilers taking on Montreal on Saturday night in the earlier game, I don't feel that the goaltenders are confident. I don't feel like the defense has got a freaking clue what they're doing in their own end. They always look like they're scrambling. They always look like they're not really sure what's going on. And that could also be the forwards not coming back enough, the forwards coming back too deep. I don't know. But it just looks like a team to me, even with the coaching change, where the players just cannot figure out what they're supposed to be doing out there. So uh, when you get a chance to see two teams like Colorado and Calgary that just look great, and then you see what Edmonton's doing, and you're going, are these guys, even with McDavid and Drysaddle, even with those guys, they don't look like they have any idea what's happening. That's not a good omen for the Edmonton Oilers. I do not believe it's all on the goaltending. I think the defensive core right now is just struggling. And uh, and the defense uh, is also reliant on the of- on the offensive guys, the guys up front, to come back and do a little bit of something right. They just don't look like they're on the same page, and it's very noticeable to me. Well, here's the thing, Bren. What page is it that they're supposed to be on? What what is their brand of hockey? What do they trot out when they come through the gate after the national anthem is over and they say, here's how we play. You try and stop us. They don't have with the two with the two players they've got at the top and some nice uh, players after that they should be dictating how they want to play the game. Do they want to play with pace and tempo like you talk about with Colorado? I think they should. Um, Are they good enough to do that? I'm not so sure. Are they going to be the win the tight game team? Well, I don't think so, not with that goaltending and that defensive group. But you've got to say, here's how we, it's either here's how we play or if you're not there yet, here's how we want to play and put together uh, the personnel that can play that game plan. But you can't say, well, let's see what happens. Um, that's, that's not how it works. And I like some of the things we've seen under Jay Woodcroft, but we need to see more. Uh, when you start with two pieces like they've got, uh, and McDavid and Dreisaitl, you've got to be able to do better than what we've seen out of this team. It's year six, seven now, depending on which player you're talking about. Um, now, what happened five and a half years ago is not the fault of Jay Woodcroft or of Ken Holland, for that matter. Not their fault, but their problem. Yeah. Fans are saying, give us something to cheer about because they have shown without a doubt, if you do that, they will show up and they will cheer. There's nothing like an Edmonton building uh, in the playoffs. But right now, the playoffs are still a question mark. And that, I can't comprehend that with the two players they've got at the top end. No, I'm, I'm with you. I just, I don't see it happening. I don't think anybody is going to assist the Edmonton Oilers by taking one of these two netminders off their hands. I, I don't see that happening. I think that the trade deadline is going to be uh, more of a flop for the Oilers than it's going to be a surge. The other thing, too, and you just pointed it out, is the fun part of watching Calgary and Colorado was watching both two teams try to force the other team to play their style. Obviously, Colorado wanted to speed it up. Calgary needed to slow it down. and wanted to play it at their game. And I love that tug of war. I thought it was a great game. And then when it got into overtime... The skilled players came came to the fore. Calgary's got them. 
right? So yep. to see uh, Johnny Goodrow score the uh, overtime winner didn't surprise me in the slightest because they've got some guys that can do it. You're right. We're going to learn there's one thing. If the Oilers get blown out or even get beat by the Calgary Flames in this Monday night game, and you're right, somebody may pick this up a week from now. If Calgary wins that game, they're now untouchable. The Oilers will not catch them. I don't think that right now they're catchable, but that will certainly, that's a four-point swing. So it's a big game for both teams. For the Calgary Flames, they can really set the table and get into the brain. It can be a brain worm for the Edmonton Oilers if they find a way to to basically uh, take it to them. Goaltending situation, we had Stuart Skinner being called up, and uh, Mike Smith is apparently not well. We haven't heard exactly what not well means, but it'll be Miko Koskinen getting the start, so... Hey, that's about it. Anything else going on? Are we good? Hey, uh, a couple of things. Uh, we have Canada's national men's team, which is going to be in Costa Rica on the 24th of March. A win or a draw will get them. They will qualify for the World Cup of Soccer. It hasn't happened since the 1980s. And Christian Jack, who is one of the broadcast voices on Soccer One, has agreed to join us after the fact. And I'm looking forward to that, to find out exactly what's next. So much can happen between now and the World Cup of Soccer next winter anyway, so uh, we'll see. But it's it's nice that uh, guys are stepping up and saying they want to be part of our broadcast, so we appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Nothing else? Um, just like to say one more time, man, does it feel good to be able to talk to Dave Jamison on Thank our you. podcast. Absolutely. And it was great of him to step in the studio today. And what a story. It's... Um, you know, here I am talking as well. I mean, the two of us have gone through hell and back in you the last guys, two what years. The hell, yeah. And Holy and hell. and you know, the here's the thing: we're two of the many, and there's yeah. a lot of success stories out there for people who have battled and fought cancer. It's not all negative, and uh, every dollar that is contributed to cancer research in our country is uh, it, it's making a difference. But uh, if Dave and I can be uh, one thing. To a lot of people, that is, uh, if people, I, I hate people. I've had people come up and say, you're inspirational. And I'm going, it's not really what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to fight to live. Yeah. And, and if I can spend 10 minutes or uh, 10 hours contributing or helping to try to generate some funds for cancer research, not only in Alberta, Edmonton, Canada, Calgary, wherever, Vancouver, uh, I'm just happy to do it. But Dave's story is... Uh, Dave can use his voice on TSN 1260 to uh, continue that fight and that battle. It's also a fight and a battle that never ends because I, I, as I said, I'm not a big, I'm not a big believer in the word remission. I think if, if cancer drops by for lunch, it's probably going to come by for dinner, but you know what? You got time between lunch and dinner. Use the time. Well, yeah. So, all right, that's it. Man, what a crazy show, and I'm with you. Great to, great to see and great to hear from Dave today. So thanks to everybody. Uh, a couple of things, a uh, little house cleaning before we, uh, before we roll out of here, and uh, that is the fact you can check us out on Twitter. Our handle's really simple. It is at Outsiders2020. Make sure you tell your friends to subscribe to our RSS feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, Deezer, whatever. We're also on YouTube. But the real key for us is that you get your buds, retweet uh, your pals, and, uh, and tell them to give us a listen. And we love everybody's support. So it's much appreciated. 
And uh, Robin, do we have a name for your studio in the southwest part of the city yet? No? <laughs> no, no, we, no okay. we do not. not All right, officially. well, I'm begging guys to go on Twitter, begging you <laughs> to go and help us with a name for Robin's studio. I broadcast from downtown Edmonton at the Road 55 studio. I'm uh, proud and pleased to work with Rob Lalisher over here. It's a lot of fun. Love the atmosphere. So we we got a studio name. We need one for Robin's uh, studio. Robin's Nest has already been suggested. He hated it. So uh, so let's just keep going, see if you can come up with a name. And uh, once again, that's at Outsiders2020 on Twitter. Just drop us a note there or DM us. And we do get back to people. If you got a show idea too, maybe a guest you want us to go after, then uh, then drop us a note. Whew, what a show. Robin, that's it for today. Thanks. Great seeing you. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Storm in the castle. Road 55.